Welcome Mission Church to another Sunday and uh, this is my, my fourth Sunday here and I want you to know how excited I am that I can bring today's message to you. Uh, I also have some news to share with you. You probably heard on the news that, that on Wednesday of this past week, the tear, the colored tear of San Diego changed from uh, red to orange which means that uh, it allows us to have uh, more people to be able to meet in our sanctuary. So this Sunday, I want you to know, will be um, the last Sunday that the people who meet on Sunday mornings will meet outdoors under the tents. And we're going to move into the sanctuary beginning next Sunday. And, uh, and so I just want to make that announcement to you so that you are aware of that and you are welcomed to come and join us in the sanctuary as we worship here uh, next Sunday. You may notice that my, uh, my sermon today has a very funny and unique title. Uh, my sermon today is called, Everyone Has to Move. And, uh, and, and it, it's not because of the change in color of uh, um, the tear to, to move back into the sanctuary, although... It's true that if you come next Sunday and you go to where our tents were, you're going to be worshiping all by yourself. So don't do that. Move in here. Everybody has to move. <laughs> but, uh, but really, this sermon title came because uh, earlier, a few weeks ago, maybe about two weeks ago, I was meeting with my, one of my mentors for breakfast. And in our conversations about family and faith, about our spiritual journey and about the church, this whole theme of, of, of moving kept uh, popping up, and, and as, as I made this, uh, this realization that, uh, wow, it seems like everyone is moving, um, or everyone has to move, and, and it dawned on me, well, that's a, a great message for this message, this sermon that's been brewing inside of me that I'm excited to share with you today. So along with the, uh, the, the moving of uh, the tears from red to orange, moving into the sanctuary, this conversation about people moving... The passage of Scripture is a very moving passage as well, too. It's found in John chapter 12, verse 32. And I invite you to hear the word of the Lord. Jesus says, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. Um, what, what, a, what, a, what a beautiful passage of Scripture. Because as we, as we look into what Jesus is saying, He says that when He is lifted up, his followers will be drawn closer to him. Jesus says we'll be moving closer to him when he is lifted up. This, this words, these words lifted up, uh, has, has more than one meaning. We know what Jesus was saying here in verse 32, because right there in the next verse, in verse 33, he said, it says, he said this to show the kind of death. He was going to die. And so Jesus, when he was saying, when I am lifted up, he was saying to his disciples, when I am put on the cross and lifted up above all, uh, I will draw all people to myself. And, um, but we know that his disciples did not understand everything that was happening 
They had in mind that Jesus was going to be their, their Messiah, maybe a militant Messiah, to overtake Rome and by whatever means possible. And in his victory over Rome, in his victory in the rebellion that Jesus was going to start, that's what they had in mind. He will be lifted up because as Jesus said these words, the words that he used uh, meant to be exalted and to be honored and to be glorified. But we know that that's not what Jesus meant, right? We know that Jesus said, when I am lifted up, he meant on the cross. And, and we see that taking place on Good Friday and how he died. Um, and so Jesus was meaning one thing and the disciples understood it a different way. And that's common when, when Jesus spoke to his disciples. But this phrase, being lifted up, wasn't, this wasn't the first time that Jesus used this phrase. Um, this is, there was a time before that, that Jesus uh, said these very same words in, earlier in, in the Gospel of John, this term of being lifted up. It's John chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. And John chapter 3, verse 14 and 15 says, Just as Moses lifted up, the snake in the wilderness. So the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in Him. And so Jesus gives us uh, some context here about what it means to be lifted up and the result of being lifted up. And if you're, if you're uh, attentive to the passage of Scripture that we just read, you realize that it comes right before the most memorized verse in all the Bible, John 3:16, right? Um, where Jesus uh, talks about the gift that He is uh, and, and eternal life that He brings. And so this all comes in a dialogue that Jesus has with Nicodemus. And, and in this dialogue that he has with Nicodemus, the message of salvation and eternal life is the center of it. And so we understand then that when Jesus is lifted up, salvation comes to people. And eternal life, that beautiful gift that God came to bring through Jesus is offered to all people. But what's really unique about this passage here in John chapter 3 is that Jesus references an Old Testament passage about Moses lifting up the snake in the wilderness. So let's even go back further. We went from John 12 to John 3. Now let's turn to John chapter 21 to look at this really interesting uh, story about Moses lifting up this snake in the wilderness. The people of Israel, we're, we're here in, in, in Numbers 21 now. Um, let me kind of set the scene up for you and the context. The people of Israel were on the tail end of their 40-year journey through the desert, right? And God had already delivered them out of bondage and slavery for 400 years in Egypt. And Moses led them out of the Exodus. And at first they were excited that they were liberated. Uh, but when they got to, to Mount Sinai and Moses went up to get the Ten Commandments from God, the, uh, the, the people who were there waiting, waited a, a lot longer than they had anticipated, 40 days. And during that time, they grew, they grew restless. 
And, and, and so instead of waiting on God, they, they, they took action, their own action. And you know the story. They gathered the gold and melted it, and they fashioned their own idol of a golden calf. And, uh, and, and when Moses came down off the mountain, he saw what they did. God was upset. Moses was upset. And as a result of that, God sent the people of Israel wandering through the desert for 40 years so that that generation of people would pass and a new generation would be the one to enter into the promised land. And so this is where we find the people of Israel journeying at the end of the 40 years through the desert. And, uh, and, and the thing that I want you to understand was that as they entered into the desert, it's desert, right? It's hard to find food. And they complained and they complained to Moses and Moses took their complaints to God and God heard their complaints. And so God, God was faithful and compassionate and God provided for 40 years every day manna for the people to eat. Every day God was faithful to provide manna. Six days. They rested on the Sabbath. And on the sixth day they gathered and gathered enough so they didn't have to gather on the Sabbath. But every day it was there. God provided it. But after 40 years of wandering through the desert and eating manna. The people were done with it. And, and so here in Numbers chapter 21, I'm going to just read a, a few verses for you. And, and, and here uh, the people are complaining about the food that they're having to eat. And, uh, and they're struggling with that after 40 years. It says in verse 4, they traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread. There's no water. And then this is what it says. And we detest this miserable food. (laughs) They were just done. They were sick of it. After 40 years of manna. And maybe some of you might think, oh man, I can, I, I get it, right? Uh, but instead of a heart of gratitude for God's faithfulness to provide what they needed, they complained and they were frustrated and they expressed it. We detest this miserable food. And, um, and, and this angers God, right? And, uh, and God's people then, they, they realized they, they made some mistakes. And now, um, as it happens here, God is upset with them. And, uh, and, and there, you know, there's some consequences to that. And I was just thinking about this for a moment and thinking to myself, isn't it interesting how things happen in the past, bad things, and yet we, we make the same mistakes over and over and over again? I'm sure you've seen that in in, in Scripture. And and this is a a great example of it. Um, People today make the same mistakes as as the Israelites did, complaining to God about food. And this is how it works. Um, I I know this doesn't happen here at Mission Church, but I've seen it elsewhere. Where you gather around the table, you sit down for a meal, and you give a heartfelt thanks, a prayer of thanks. Thank you, Lord, 
for providing this meal and for the hands that prepared it. We always pray for the hands, not the, not the people. I don't know why, but we pray for the hands. Thank you for the hands that prepared it. Amen. And then before we even get to the first thing to eat, we see what's being served and we say things like, broccoli? I hate broccoli. <laughs> or corn, tortillas, where, where are the flour ones? Or as you're eating, why are the mashed potatoes so lumpy? And, and, and all the thanksgiving of prayers that we made go right out the window because we're really not thankful at all. Now, this isn't even what I'm preaching about, but this passage came up and I thought I would share it with you. This was just a bonus, right? This is free. There's no charge for this part of the message. Um, but I want to get back to my sermon. But just that, keep that in mind the next time you give thanks to the Lord in prayer that uh, we truly mean it from our hearts. So as we get back into, into the sermon, we find Israel protesting, complaining against God, and so God punishes them, right? And, and I'm going to read this passage of Scripture for you. Uh, it, it begins, I think, around verse 6. And it says, Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them, and they bit the people, and, made, and many Israelites died. Oh my goodness. And the people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. And they, they prayed, Moses, pray, pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. And so the Bible says, Moses prayed for the people. This passage of scripture right here, it's kind of just, it's so hard to preach on really. Because we're so used to the comfort that God brings to us in the Gospels, you know. And, and we love hearing the messages of God's forgiveness and grace. But we forget about the consequences for those who rebel and disobey God. I mean, we just go back in the Old Testament and we read about Adam and Eve and their disobedience in the garden. And there were consequences there. You know, we read about that. And then we just talked about it just a while ago, uh, that when the, the people of Israel were at the bottom of Mount Sinai, and they grew impatient, they, they, they got the gold and melted the, the, the gold and, and made a golden calf, and that upset the Lord. And there were consequences. They roamed the desert for 40 years, and so they're living out this consequence right now. And now they're almost at the end, and they're, they're complaining against God again. And so... There's consequences. God punishes them with, with venomous snakes that, 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 that are there. And, uh, and the good news is that they realize their mistake. You know, and the sad part was people died. But the good news is that they realize their sin. And they go to Moses and they say, Moses, would you pray? We, we have sinned. They, they confess that. And so God answers their prayers. And this is where things get strange. I'm going to read this passage of Scripture here for you, beginning at verse 8. And this is what the, the passage says. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it up on a pole. And anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. And when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. <laughs> you know, I, I still remember reading this passage of Scripture as a teenager as I read through the Bible for the very first time. And this passage really stuck out to me because it's so unusual, right? 
um, people were, were being bitten by snakes and, and they were dying. And, and, and the cure was to hold up, uh, to, to make a, a bronze snake and hold it up. And if people looked at it, they, they would live. Um, and I just chalked it up to God's sovereignty. You know, God is God. He'll do what he wants. And, but as, I, as we take a closer look at this passage of scripture, there, there's a lot more to the story that I want to help unpack for you. And, and, and relate that back to where we began in John chapter 12 when Jesus said, when I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. You see, God's response is to, to, to the people of Israel when, when, when they prayed was to give the people a, a, a bronze snake on a pole. And, and honestly... When you read this, this, this kind of feels wrong, doesn't it? Don't, don't you think that it feels kind of wrong? And I'll give you some, some reasons why I think that. First of all, isn't God against idols? Like, shouldn't we, we not make things like that, like, like a bronze snake? Because it feels really similar to a golden calf, doesn't it? This bronze snake. And, and we already know that in the Ten Commandments, the Second Command says, you should not make any idols. And so, we, we, we look at this and go, mm, this is really cutting it close to the line and, and it just feels a little wrong, right? A, a, a bronze snake. And so that's the, the first thing. You know, we shouldn't make idols, right? So the second thing, the reason why I, I, this is kind of a problem, because when, when the people pray, or they, they, they ask Moses to pray, right? God doesn't answer their prayers. God doesn't take away the snakes. The snakes are still there. They're still biting people. What, the, what God does do is he provides a cure, which I thought was really interesting. And then the third thing was that of, of, of all things, a snake? <laughs> really? That's what they were getting bitten by. They're probably afraid of snakes, right? That's what's actually killing them. And And... You and I feel like the same way when we read the Bible. Snakes represent evil, right? It's, it's the corruption, it's sin. The devil came in the form of a serpent to Adam and Eve and, and, and tempted them. And so, why a snake? It's just so weird. And then the last thing that I thought was just so unique about this passage of Scripture is, is, is how the people are healed. The, the Bible says all they had to do was just look at it and, and, and they, they would not die. Think about that for a second. Normally, just looking at something doesn't normally help, right? Here, here's some medicine. You're not feeling well? Take, take this medicine, but just look at it. That's not how it works, right? We, we got to eat the medicine or if you have a rash, you rub the ointment on. But, but here... They're called to just look at it. You don't need to touch it. Just lift up the bronze snake on the pole and have people look at it. Wow. So I began to think long and hard about what we've just, we just read and talked about. And, and I began to get a picture of understanding what's happening here. You see... The people who were bitten by the snakes, right? They, they, they were going to die. They knew that because these snakes were venomous. They were probably in a lot of pain. And God gives Moses a plan 
for their salvation. And that is to hold up a snake that's on a pole. And when they look at it, they will be healed. They will be saved. Now, if I was bitten by a snake, you know what I would do? I would find Moses and ask him to hold up that pole with the snake on it so that I could see it. Because my life depended on it, right? And I would put every ounce of faith that I had to, 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 so that I could live. Now, I can imagine people that weren't bitten by snakes, right? Not believing that. Did you hear what Moses said? He said that, you know, he's going to hold up this, this bronze snake and when people see it, they're going to, they're going to be healed. They're not going to die. How do you believe that? When you don't need it, you don't believe it. But if you, if, if, if this is your life, wouldn't you put your full faith in what Moses offered you to be saved? Believe and live. Deny and die. That was their choice. And the choice then was simple. They looked up, they believed, and they were saved. This sounds like what Jesus came to bring. This sounds like the, the message that Jesus came to teach us, right? All this points to, to what God can do when people obey Him. When we put our faith and truly, truly believe. The Israelites, they looked at this bronze snake and, uh, and they didn't have any idea of the significance of it. They just knew that if they were bitten and, and they were told that if they if they just looked at it and believed, they would live. And they did. They see a snake on the pole. A symbol of sin and death that's lifted up. Well, we see now on this side of history, on this side of the Gospels, we see the similarities of what took place on the cross. Are you beginning to see what I'm seeing? Jesus takes the sins of the world and he is nailed on the cross. And he is lifted up. And those who put their faith in him and trust in him are saved. You see the beautiful picture that's beginning to unfold? When you put your faith in Jesus now, you are given eternal life. And so you begin to see what Jesus meant in John chapter 3, verse 14, when he says, Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, and whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave us his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So, what I see here is that the people of Israel that were traveling through the desert on the back end of their 40 years, they have some things in common with our world and our people today. Not just that we complain about food. <laughs> their problem was that they took their eyes off of God and they began to look at the problems that they had. And those problems caused them to have a bitter heart and complain about it. Taking our eyes off of God is really the problem. 
Because when, we take our, when they took their eyes off of God, they forgot all that God had done for them, freeing them from 400 years of slavery to the Egyptians. Taking their eyes off of God made their hearts ungrateful and, and, and calloused. And then, taking their eyes off of God, they lost sight of where they were. They had no idea and they didn't realize that how close they were to the promised land. And they were close. And instead of lifting up God, they lifted up their complaints. They lifted up their frustrations. They lifted up their bitterness and their anger higher and higher and higher. And doesn't the same thing happen today? You see, the thing that I beginning to see and realize is that the devil is the one that erects all of these issues and these controversies and these problems that turn our attention away from God and is exacerbated because of politics and the media and is exacerbated because of of COVID. And what happens is the devil's plan is for us to take our eyes off of God and onto these problems that, that bring us frustration and anger. And you know what it does? It polarizes us and pulls us away from one another. And the devil knows it. You see, he planned it. And it's tearing communities apart. And it's polarizing people and families and families are ripped apart. And it's affecting churches. Do you feel the tension? I do. And we're being pulled and polarized. Because our eyes are not fixed on Jesus. They're fixed on all the things we see problematic in our world today. So today, I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to turn around and stop looking at what takes us further away from Jesus and from one another. And instead, to turn our gaze away from those things that polarize us and separate us and maybe turn towards one another for a moment and see the people that we are in relationship with. And then I'm going to ask you to do something else. I'm going to ask you to not even turn to face one another, but turn in the same direction and look towards the cross. Because when we are able to turn away from the polarizing issues of our world and turn to face one another and hold hands and then face in the same direction, then and only then can we both move closer to the cross. Think about that. We can't do it when we're this way. And even when we're this way, sometimes maybe we do more arguing with one another than we do lifting one another up. But when we stand side by side and we are faced in the right direction, do you remember what Jesus says to us at the beginning of this message today from John chapter 12, verse 32? He says that when I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. Today, what draws your heart? I'll tell you the answer. It is what you lift up. 
If you lift Jesus up, your heart will be drawn to that. You lift anything else up in this world, that's where your attention will be drawn. You will either be focused on the issues that divide us or this beautiful cross that unites us. I'm not sure if you recognize this cross. Um, This is the cross that we used on Good Friday. And on Good Friday in the station number two, where we prayed for those who needed a transformation, who we prayed to come close to Jesus, we wrote their names down. Those of you who are online, you may have texted it uh, to our church office. And we wrote the names of the people and tacked them to the cross. There's a beautiful symbolic picture of these people being close to the cross. And today, you know what I pray? Is that if there's a cross in your home, that you would write your name and maybe affix it to the cross as a symbolic way to say, I want to turn my gaze away from the things that pull us apart and turn it towards Jesus. I want to lift Jesus up because Jesus said, when I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. Church, I want you to know that in the end, everybody has to move. You will be either moving towards Christ or away from Him. There's no standing still. And so I invite you today, I invite you to lift Jesus up and move Him, move closer to the cross. Will you turn your eyes on Jesus? Join us as we sing, Turn Your Eyes. Turn your eyes upon to you right now. We just want to turn our eyes to you. We want to push aside all the things that come in between the unity that you want us to have. And Lord, we just thank you for these words that we heard today, that we take them to heart, that we would daily choose to seek you with the most earnesty. 
and that the sacrifice that you gave us on the cross allows us to turn to you and to give us, give you those things that tear us down. We praise you today. We thank you for this time together. To go with us, be with us as we seek you. In your name, amen.